Well, you know, I just really messed up this, this evening. Uh, I was supposed to evidently have brought Dr. McGonagall to your class. And uh, I've, I've been trying to do everything right since last Saturday when I picked him up at the airport and getting him everywhere at the right time. I took him to tea this afternoon, and we found a good cup of tea, and then I failed to pick him up and get him to your class. And I get here and find out he wasn't here. But you know, I, I was talking to him along the way, and sometimes I found, I'm not a Presbyterian, but sometimes I find that God has ordained something that I wasn't ready for. And it was right. So no doubt he wanted us to have this time of sharing this evening. But that, that doesn't uh, mean that I shouldn't have been in the right place at the right time. <laughs> so I apologize to you. I'm sure that this good attendance here tonight is an indication that we've all come because we have been so blessed by the ministry of Dr. Herbert McGonigal. I've thought this week as he has been with us and realizing that he's, uh, he's no longer the president, sort of uh, moved into a role to nurse this, uh, this PhD program with Manchester University alone. And so he's maybe not full time. Maybe we could get him to be uh, a visiting professor in Wesleyan studies one semester a year. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Because I know that you have all enjoyed him as Jan and I have. And what a blessing you've been to us, Dr. McGonagall. We want to thank you for coming. We want to thank you for the way that you've given yourself, not only in chapel, but in our classes, everywhere you've asked, been asked to be, except tonight, you've been able to be there. <laughs> and so I present to you the students who have come to hear the word of God from your voice. God bless you. Well, thank you for, again for the welcome. And as this is our last evening together, I have enjoyed these days at the Bible College so, so very, very much. Meeting so many of you, being in the classes, of course I particularly enjoy that. But to have the privilege to come and to share in the word of the Lord. Dr. and Mrs. Sanders, or, in fact, the expression that I can never, ever use in Britain because we don't have it, Mr. President and First Lady. <laughs> Thank you for your great warmth and kindness and hospitality. It's been a delight to be here. Something else, Dr. Sanders, you invited me for this series, Preacher of the Year. Uh, that's never, ever happened to me before. And almost certainly it will never happen again. So, <laughs> thank you very, very much. Uh, a short reading from Psalm 51. Part of the opening, I'm just selecting some verses, not because of the time I'd done this quite a bit ago. So, Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. 
for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely, I have been a sinner from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. To the Lord be thanks for his word. All of us as Christians ought to often read Psalm 51. And if possible, we should read it on our knees. There never comes a place in our Christian life where we do not need to hear the great truths of sin and grace and cleansing and restoration that are found in this psalm. And we must not think that because we have not fallen into the gross sins that David had fallen into that lie behind this psalm, that therefore we don't need it. We do. We always need its reminder of the seriousness of sin and the wonder of God's mercy and forgiveness and cleansing and purifying. Psalm 51 has no introduction. The psalmist goes straight in, Have mercy upon me, O God. It is a cry from the desperate heart of a desperate man. One half of this psalm, one half is made up of prayer and petition. It is very personal. It is very passionate. It is very powerful. Even before the Christian era, the Jewish and Hebrew scholars in the Talmud had concluded that Psalm 51 is indeed David's psalm. And the Christian church picked up that exegesis, and that has been the broad consensus of biblical scholarship from the church fathers down to the present. That lying behind the confession of Psalm 51 are those desperate conditions into which King David brought himself by his deliberate sins of murder, adultery, lying, and deception. And I say murder because he sent Bathsheba's husband, 
to his death just as surely as if he had picked up his sword and killed the man. And so, about a year later, as far as we can work out, David managed to cover things up. He managed to hide his sin. He managed to put a brave face on it. But you know, sooner or later, our sins will find us out. Sooner or later, what we have done and for which we have not sought, God's mercy will rise up against us. And you know, it is of the mercy of God that it rises up against us while there is still time to do something about it. While there is still time to repent and seek God, it will be too late when it rises in the judgment. It's far better tonight, folks, to have all the shocks now if we need them, some of us, in our lives. Better to face the truth now than at the judgment. Let's have all the shocks down here, get everything out into the open, make a full confession, and get ourselves right with God. A prayer for pardon. Oh, listen to these words. So deep, so passionate, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. David rings the changes on three distinctly different Hebrew words that speak of sin. Translated in most of our English Bibles as transgression, to be blotted out, iniquity, to be washed, and sin to be cleansed. What a, what a deep insight David has into his own heart. In fact, there is nothing quite like that insight into sin anywhere else in the whole of the Old Testament. Blot out my transgression, Pisha. It means something deliberate. It means something willful. In fact, the Hebrew word has a very colorful connotation. And if any of the rest of you, like me, grew up on a farm, you'll recognize what it is. The word is taken in the days when we used horses. You're trying to get the horse, you know, it's, it's attached to some piece of machinery. You're trying to get it to go forward and sometimes horses can be stubborn. And instead of going forward, the horse backs and kicks out. That's the Hebrew word. Deliberate, deliberate, open-eyed transgression. And when King David took another man's wife, he knew what he was doing. When he planned her husband's murder, he knew what he was doing. This is open-eyed. This is sin that is deliberate. This is high-handed sin. Pisha, oh God, deal, deal with my rebellion. Then he talks about 
wash me from my iniquity. The Hebrew word avon means literally something bent, something twisted. David says, behind the awful thing that I have done, there is something in my heart that is bent and twisted and crooked. And you and I know both from Scripture and from our own experience that behind our sins lie our sinful hearts, lie a nature that is bent away from God. That great father of the church, Augustine, said so well, he said, sin is self-coronation. Sin is when I take away from God what is due him, and I begin to worship and to exalt myself. There is something in the human heart that is bent and twisted and lying behind all the sins that we have ever committed and all the sins of the world is the crookedness, the bentness of the human heart, and David knows it. He says, I was shapen. I was shapen that way. I was born that way. I am very troubled these days when in certain quarters I hear very serious questions raised about a doctrine that has been fundamental in the Christian church since the days of the New Testament. I mean the doctrine of original sin. Well, if we want to give it another name, that's all right. The term original sin as such is not in the Bible. But oh, the truth is there all right. And those who say that there is no such thing as a doctrine of original sin then are under obligation to explain to the rest of us the universality of sin and the pervasiveness of sin. David understood the deep sinfulness of his heart. My sin, missing the mark. And then he says, I know that God can blot out. I know that God can wash. And I know that God can cleanse. See how they match up. A threefold confession of sin. And over against it, God has a threefold answer. Oh, the wonder of God's salvation. Oh, the depth of the divine mercy. Oh, the wonder of grace for all our sin, for our transgression, for our iniquity, and for our sin. A threefold problem. God Almighty has a threefold answer. He can blot out so that the record is clean forever. He can wash until we are pure. He can cleanse until we are holy. And isn't it wonderful that an Old Testament believer found that? This is before our Lord came into the world. This is on the other side of Calvary and Pentecost. For God has always been able to forgive when sin is repented of. God has an answer to the deep, deep need of our hearts. A prayer for pardon. We look at the, a little further. You ever noticed 
You ever noticed the depth of the confession in this psalm? David is not glib. David is not superficial. David doesn't deal lightly with the terrible things he has done. He has brought disgrace upon his high office, for he is God's anointed king. He has brought disgrace into his own family. And listen to his confession. I acknowledge my transgression. There's hope for a man and a woman when we will acknowledge that we've done wrong. Until we get there, we can have as many arguments as we like. Nothing, nothing, nothing will happen to us until we acknowledge our sin. David, I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. Day and night, I can't get away. See, the spirit is moving. This man is under deep conviction. He has sinned terribly. My sin is ever before me. There is not one attempt in this psalm to excuse himself or to cover it up. Have you noticed recently, maybe it isn't happening in your country, but it's certainly happening where I come from, that if somebody in public life falls into whatever sin it happens to be. And I notice that even in the church, nobody talks anymore about sin. Nobody acknowledges anymore they've sinned. The language is, they have done that which is inappropriate. You notice that? Inappropriate. Jesus didn't die for what's inappropriate. He died for sin. And we are in danger of copying the world. Men and women in our country have fallen into gross sin, who have been interviewed on radio and television. There is hardly ever, ever, ever an honest, open confession where they admit they've done wrong, where they admit they've sinned. And I've noticed that the same indiscriminate, indeterminate language is creeping into the church. Sin is not inappropriate. Sin is an almighty offense against a holy God. David does not try to excuse himself. My sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. Why did he say that? Didn't he sin against his wife? Yes, he did. Didn't he sin against his family? Yes, he did. Didn't he sin against the high office to which God had raised? Yes, he did. But you see, ultimately, all sin is an offense against a holy God. Whoever else you and I hurt when we sin, and we do, there are plenty of husbands and wives to tell the tale. There are plenty of children with scars that they will carry to the grave because of the sins that parents have committed. We hurt other people deeply. But all sin ultimately 
is sin against God. Against you only have I sinned and done this evil. He's not afraid to name it. When did you last hear somebody actually confess to having done evil? I was brought forth, he says, in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Last year in our country, we had a royal wedding. I have taken a public stand on this in my own country, so I'm not doing it because I'm, you know, three or four thousand miles away from home. Prince Charles, heir to the throne, an adulterer, married a woman who had left two husbands for no cause, so she is an adulteress. They were married in one of the, the main churches in England with a Christian ceremony, an offense against, because there was no confession. When, when an adulterer and adulteress get married, they have an adulterous marriage. And friends, it doesn't matter whether it's the height, whether it's the royal family, or the highest in the nation, sin is sin is sin against God. And we will not be excused just maybe because we, ha we hold some high office in the nation. I don't say that with any, with any glee. I say it with great sadness. If one day that man becomes my monarch, oh, what an awful example he has set. And then in this psalm, there's a great, deep longing, not only for pardon, but for something deeper, for purity. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Oh, friends, when the Holy Spirit begins to get to us and we're convicted of our sin, we long to be clean. Not just to be forgiven. Not just to have those awful things put behind us by the mercy of God, but to be clean. Oh, for a heart to praise my God, a heart from sin set free. For cleansing. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. A lovely piece of typical Hebrew parallelism where a truth is stated in the first line and then emphasized by saying the same thing with slightly different words in the second line. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Oh, this longing, this desire to be clean, Make me to hear joy and gladness. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Did you notice how not only the depth of the confession, but the, the longing to be forgiven and cleansed? 
And then he says, Lord, don't cast me away from your presence. I want to make a suggestion about that verse. I can prove it. Why, why would David have said that especially? Cast me not away from your presence. Because he had seen what happened to King Saul. His predecessor. Saul had been called and chosen and anointed of God to this high office from which he fell by disobedience and sin. The difference is there is no record. There is no record that Saul repented. In fact, do you remember just about the last thing we read that Saul said before he and his sons were killed? fighting the Philistines on Mount Gilboa. It is one of the saddest epitaphs found in the Bible. Saul said, God is departed from me and answers me no more. Can you tell me of a position that could be worse than that? that our sin and our rebellion and our refusal to confess could bring us to a place where we have to say, God is departed from me and answers me no more. And David says, oh God, don't let me get there. Cast me not away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I have heard this psalm preached on as if the only thing that David lost was the joy. Then why all the confession of the sin and why all the prayer for cleansing if the only thing he lost was the joy? Oh no, this is a man conscious of the sin and the stain within. And finally, he, he has testimony. When God has done this for him, he says, I will teach transgressors your ways. When you and I have found God's great forgiveness and salvation and cleansing, then not only from Scripture, but out of our own experience, we're able to carry the Word of God and the Word of grace to others. I will teach transgressors your ways. When David was first convicted, it was when that brave man, and he was a brave man, the prophet Nathan, went into David. Remember, he, he told him a little story. And when David got indignant, he said, Sir, you're the man. Straight to his face, you're the man. But Nathan said something else. He said, David, here it is. You have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. By what you've done, you have allowed the enemies of God to blaspheme his holy name. Now David says, I will teach. I will go back over. I will teach transgressors your ways. Sinners will be converted unto you because of the reality of the restoration. 
the new man that emerges. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. He's still remembering something. He's still remembering someone. Who's he remembering? He's remembering Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, that brave commander. You know, we haven't time to remind ourselves of the story. When David did everything he could to cover up his adultery, <laughs> Uriah, a plain, simple soldier, refused to go back home and be with his wife because his men were on danger in the battlefield. And David's plan failed. And finally, he told his commander to put Uriah at the head of the force to make sure he'd be killed. Oh, deliver me, Lord. The blood of Uriah is on my hands. You see, when we sin, we don't only just touch ourselves. We touch so many others. And thanksgiving. Lord, open my lips. My mouth will show forth your praise. Our first ministry, though I, when I went to London, I was single. And when I left to go to Glasgow, uh, I had a wife. When we went to Scotland, I wasn't very far from the old mother church of the Nazarene in the city of Glasgow. And it was October, and the church was having its anniversary, Saturday and Sunday. So I went along on the Saturday night. It was quite full. I sat away at the back under the gallery. And uh, they had a, a very well-known Scottish woman preacher that I had heard before, had been greatly blessed by her ministry, and I had gone particularly to hear the lady uh, Mary Morrison preach. And it so happened that uh, when the minister introduced her, he said, I have asked our sister to sing. Now, she comes from the highlands of Scotland where they sing unaccompanied. Blessed, she used to be a Gaelic singer on the radio before she was converted. Wonderful gift. She stood up that night in the old mother church of the Nazarene in Glasgow, celebrating 100 years this year. It was opened in 1906. In fact, the, the book about it just came out last week. And she began to sing something I'd never heard before. It was one of those occasions I was immediately gripped, not only by the actual quality and beauty of the singing, but by the words. They just, you know when something goes straight to your heart? You're pierced. You're blessed. I discovered later that the hymn was written by a man called Browning, a Nazarene pastor in Florida, way back in 1929, I think. And Mary stood that night 
in that old, great old building in Glasgow and began to sing. Dark the sin that soiled man's nature. Remember it? Long the distance that he fell. Far removed from hope and heaven. Near to deep despair and hell. But there was a fountain opened and the blood of God's own Son purifies the soul and reaches, remember it now, deeper than the stain has gone. And that great refrain, praise the Lord for full salvation. God still lives upon the throne. And I know the blood still reaches deeper, deeper than the stain has gone. David discovered that. Hallelujah. It is still the gospel. The blood of Jesus and the purifying of the Holy Spirit goes deeper than all the stains have gone. What a wonderful Lord. What a wonderful gospel. What a great redemption. And for all of you brothers and sisters who are here tonight, Preparing for the ministry of preaching the everlasting gospel. I wish for you above everything else that every day you spend in the ministry of preaching the gospel that you will never lose the sheer wonder and the excitement of being called of God to declare good news to this generation. It has been delightful to be with you, and thank you for listening so well.